Good morning. My name is Susan Rattan. I am your service leader today. And uh, first things which the two of us have just done, uh, please turn off your devices if you have any that might ring. And uh, I have a few announcements before we get started too. Uh, our annual meeting of this congregation is the first Sunday in May, 1st of May. There will be a choir service and then after that uh, we'll have our meeting, elect a new board, pass a budget and so on. And then two weeks later, the weekend of the 13th of May will be our garage sale. And we are just sort of getting organized on that. So there's lots of work to do. We will be needing volunteers. Now, the Unitarian Church of Edmonton is a rich mosaic of free thinking, spiritually questing individuals joined in common support and action. We welcome diversity, pursue the common good, and work for justice. We believe in the compassion of the human heart, the warmth of community, and the search for meaning in our lives. We gather in gratitude on Treaty 6 land. A treaty is an inheritance, a responsibility, and a relationship. Maybe we be good neighbors to one another, good stewards to our planet, and good ancestors to all of our children. May we be reminded of our highest aspirations and encouraged and inspired to bring our gifts of love and service to the altar of humanity. We are not isolated beings, but are connected in mystery and miracle to the universe, to this community, and to each other. Now we will have a prelude, and this is kind of a special one for me. Um, the song is Everything Possible, which is in our Teal hymn book. And a year ago, I was looking for a recording of that uh, song and came in touch with a man who wrote it, whose name is Fred Small, and he turns out to be a Unitarian minister in Massachusetts. And he had later on sent me a couple of versions of this song. We're going to hear one now, which is a live recording of Fred Small himself singing, singing the song. Wash the dishes and put them away. I have told you a story and tucked you in tight at the end of your knockabout day. As the moon sets its sails to carry you to sleep over the midnight sea, I will sing you a song no one sang to me. May it keep you good company. You can be anybody you want to be. You can love whomever you will. You can travel any country. You can travel any country where your heart leads. And know I will love you still. You can live by yourself. You can live by yourself. You can gather friends around. You can choose one special one. And the only measure. And the only measure of your words and your deeds will be the love you leave behind when you're done. There are girls who grow up 
strong and bold There are boys quiet and kind Some race on ahead Some follow behind Some go in their own way and time Some women love women Some men love men Some raise children Some never do You can dream all the day Never reaching the ends Of everything possible for you Don't be rattled by names By taunts, by games But seek out spirit's true If you give your friends the best part of yourself they will give the same back to you You can be anybody you want to be You can love whomever you will Sing it with us You can travel any country where your heart beats and know I will love you still you can live by yourself you can gather friends around you can choose one special one and the only measure of your words and your deeds will be the love you leave Hill to come up and light our chalice. Our chalice lighting words today are by George Beach. In the mystery of life, about us there is light. It gives us a place to be, to grow, to rejoice together. It opens the pathways to love. In this place of friendship there is freedom. Let the light we kindle go before us, strong in hope, wide in goodwill, inviting the day to come. Thank you, Ruth. Now, Robert Begg will give our first reading. Pardon me. We Are One by Hope Johnson. <clears throat> we are one, a diverse group of proudly kindred spirits here, not by coincidence, but because we choose to journey to together. We are active and proactive. We care deeply. We live our love as best we can. We are one working, eating, laughing and playing, singing, storytelling, sharing and rejoicing, getting to know each other, taking risks, opening up, 
questioning, seeking, searching, trying to understand, struggling, making mistakes, paying attention, asking questions, listening, living our answers, learning to love our neighbors, learning to love ourselves, apologizing and forgiving with humility and being forgiven through grace, creating the beloved community together. We are one. Thank you, Robert. We will now sing hymn number 361, Enter, Rejoice, and Come In. Uh, words, there they are. And uh, they're also in here if you want them. And uh, I can tell you that when you go to any national Unitarian gathering in Canada, this is the song they sing. So. entirely self-governing and self-supporting. One of the privileges of our free church tradition is to provide all of the financial support for our many ministries from, from among ourselves. Generosity, therefore, is one of the spiritual values we recognize as central to us as a Unitarian community. In addition to supporting this church community, we also each week make a commitment beyond our walls. One half of the unidentified cash that is received is given to an outside organization. This month it is the International Council of Unitarians and Universalists. Those in the sanctuary, I think you know that there uh, will be uh, places for you to put your uh, donations as you leave. And for those online, 
uh, you can go to the, C the UCE website. At the top left corner, you'll see a button that is donate, and it'll take you uh, on a way you can donate online. And you can also, uh, I have to say, write a check and mail it to the church. So we thank you for your generosity and your support. Let us now remain seated and sing, From You I Receive. also a special month in this congregation. It is our pledge month, our canvas month, when we ask everybody connected to our congregation to make a donation pledge for the coming year. And in this church, the coming year starts July 1st, but right now we are planning the budget and we need to have an idea of how much money from our members we'll be getting. So making your pledge is really important there was a letter sent out a couple of weeks ago, but if you don't have that, um, you can call the office, you can track down our treasurer, Andrew Mills, or you can track down me and I'll find a way for you to make your pledge. And as part of this this year, we are asking several church members to speak about what they value about being part of this congregation. Today's speaker is Doug Eastwell, who will speak to us from Zoom. So, Doug. Good morning. Good morning. My, my name's Eastwell, and I feel, and I feel a little like this voice behind the curtain in the Wizard of Oz, in that I'm not right there, but I am. I'm a relative newcomer to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. I've been a member for about five years. I was, I was recently, recently been associated with the United, United Church. Church. They, they had, had a, they had, they had been embroiled in a, they, they had been embroiled in the, in the controversy uh, regarding their atheist minister, Greta Vosburgh, in Toronto. Some, Some wag had suggested she should just join the Unitarian Church and be done with it. That sparked, that sparked a memory from long ago about, about 56 Spartan Street, a definitely, a definitely effective advertising campaign. Being, being curious by nature, I decided to explore this idea further. I found a contact for UCE and arranged an interview with Brian Kiley, the minister of the time. He, he suggested that I should test drive UCE and by attending three services. I was, I was a little curious, curious as to why the three. His response was, well, it may be that he was off on one of them. I may be off on another one of them. And the third one, we might get a balance. I was definitely impressed by this uh, pragmatic approach. I found this like a very real, real-time idea that I really appreciated. I decided, I decided to take him up on his offer. I attended the requisite three, three sessions. One of these happened to be a Coriolis service. This 
impressed me greatly. To paraphrase Shakespeare, if music be the food of life, play on an element that is very important to my spirituality. I made the decision to join the congregation shortly after. Another facet of UCE that impressed me was the point that this congregation is an independent, financially self-supporting body. I had just come from the United Church and there had been, there were several layers of uh, authority and bureaucracy involved in any decision-making that mattered to the congregation. I had felt that this was very uh, constraining and a stifling of creativity. The concept of a congregationally self-sufficient body appealed to me. This simultaneously creates an, an opportunity and a responsibility. The congregation acquires sole authority and becomes responsible for the continued existence of the congregation. And as Reverend Rosemary mentioned last week, uh, increased activities and programming require additional inputs. I am very curious to see how this experiment, this spiritual experiment will play out. And for that reason, I continue to support the UCE during Canvas Month and during the, the balance of the year. Thank you for your attention and happy Ostera. Thank you very much, Doug. And you make a very good point that it's great to be a self-deciding organization, but then it's all up to us to keep this wonderful place going. And that means pledges if you can pledge, please. Uh, uh, we really need it and we need to have an idea of how much money we're gonna have next year. So thank you to everybody. We will now sing the hymn of the month. There is a love. It will be there. It will be on a piece of paper if you like to look at pieces of paper. And uh, yes, carry on. now have the pleasure of introducing our guest speaker, Howard Lawrence. I was, a, when I first met him about 10 years ago, I was on the Highlands Community League board and we started hearing about this guy in our neighborhood who was intent on building stronger neighborhoods 
and was trying to make it happen. And pretty soon I was sitting in Howard's living room and became one of his volunteers, and I'm basically still one of his volunteers. Um, he went on to become a abundant community coordinator for the city of Edmonton. That's the program that tries to, to promote closer ties between people in neighborhoods and on streets. And he has uh, given his message all across the city. And today we hear from Howard Lawrence. Thank you, Susan. Yeah, it's great to be here. And, uh, you know, out the, at the outset, my goal is to encourage you to be even a better neighbor than you are. And I'd love to hear your neighboring stories. And Susan and I share a neighboring story in the Highlands neighborhood. It's been 10 years. So I want you to know, um, because I would never have met Susan if we weren't neighbors. Because we, we don't kind of operate in the same circles. Um, but because we, I met Susan as a neighbor, over those 10 years, I have come to care deeply for her. I would, I would, and I can say this from a subjective perspective, I would give her whatever she needs whenever she needs it. I will be there for Susan. Now, that's a subjective experience. But from an objective standpoint, the research actually shows that neighbors care for one another in profound ways. Um, this is best demonstrated <clears throat> in disaster sociology. So the number one predictor as to whether or not an individual will survive a disaster and the number one predictor as to whether they will recover from that disaster is how well they know their neighbors. That's the research of Daniel Aldrich. And We've seen that bear out in terms of the COVID epidemic. People as neighbors have stepped forward and they maybe never had before. They say, hey, how can I care for the neighbors around me? I'm really concerned for that senior down the way or that person with mobility impairment. We saw it for sure in the floods, in the Fort McMurray fire, the floods in the southern Alberta, the Fort McMurray fires, uh, the research uh, as well documented in a very cool book called um, Paradise Made in Hell. Isn't that an interesting title? Paradise Made in Hell. And Rebecca Solent makes the case that the experience of going through troubles together cements us together in a way that bonds our hearts indelibly. Like we just come together and care for one another. So that's one of the great benefits of neighboring is that we're there in a sincere way to care for one another through trying times. But there's lots of other benefits to neighboring that the city of Edmonton, of course, recognizes and hence has a program to encourage neighboring and community development. So there's lots of benefits to us, to, to neighboring, uh, beyond just disaster and, and troubled times uh, support. And if we take a step back, this absolutely makes sense to us. Hardly any of us would argue with the fact that the neighboring relationship is important. 
but the issue is that the neighboring relationship has faded. Lots of times when we talk about important relationships, we think of friends and family. And friends being those people that you're together with because of some focus. So I come to this service together. This focus pulls us together as friends. So we leave our neighborhoods and we come and, and we're friends. Or maybe it's a choir that you join. Uh, maybe it's a hockey team you play for. Maybe it's your children at school. Those pull us together as friends. And friends can be supportive and, and are supportive, um, particularly um, until that particular focus departs. I no longer have children in school, I'm no longer singing, and no longer play hockey, so I don't do that anymore. So friendship is an important relationship that's really predicated on some kind of a focus that we would have. Um, so that's an important relationship. Family's an important relationship. We're born into it. It's, a, it's an amazing experience to be in a family. It's transitory too. Like, right? You start as a little child, you move through the stages and ages of life together as a family. And oftentimes, the, you leave the family, you create a new kind of family. It's, but it's wonderful to have family that are supportive, but not always present. And then this third relationship, the neighboring relationship, it's based on proximity. You share a postal code together. So you're just there next to one another. So at the city, we call all three of those relational nutrients. So we're playing on the idea of the Canada Food Guide, where we need a balanced diet to make us healthy for our bodies to flourish. So here we're saying in order for your being to flourish, for your emotional life to flourish, your spiritual life to flourish, you need a robust relational diet. And we would like to see you have family, friends, and neighbors, and to strengthen each one of those. And each of those nutrients brings something unique. You know, um, your family is interesting. They're, you, they're all ages. You're through all stages. You don't necessarily like everyone in the family, right? There's Uncle Bob at the weddings that you tolerate. But you're there for him and you love him. Um, friends are more like you. There are people who are very similar to you because you, you know, you, because you share this focus, you're very similar, uh, which is really healthy for you because you can see yourself in that other person, and maybe that's super good for your own human formation. Um, but then there's the neighboring relationship, and sometimes it's like uh, family, sometimes it's like friends. You know, there's things that you share together that make you, the, in the, within the neighborhood, that make you like friends. I play hockey with a whole group of Highlands individuals, mostly men, mostly my age and stage, mostly, well, they all have an interest in hockey and sports. So they're like friends in the neighborhood. Um, uh, but I'm next to other people who aren't, aren't like me. My next door neighbor is uh, 90 years old. Uh, he has very different interests than me, but because he lives so close to me, I interact with him almost daily or at least weekly in ways where he cares for me and I care for him. We wouldn't have been, he's kind of like a dad or maybe even like a grandpa to me. Um, and I enjoy being in relationship with him and he enjoys being in relationship with me. 
So those are very unusual kinds of relationships, but for us who care about relationships, I think it's helpful to differentiate between those three kinds of relationships, friends, family, and neighbors. And we actually have an appeal where we say, could you, could you use the word neighbors when you speak of relationships? Lots of times people say, and you can hear it, friends and family are so important to me. Well, historically, we've said friends, family, and neighbors are so important to me. We haven't just said it, we've meant it. Down through history, the neighboring relationship has been primary. It comes out in that notion of it takes a village to raise a child. Right? It takes a village to raise a child. The village has been so important to us. So for humans down through history and across cultures, uh, this has been critical. So they're pointing out another important element uh, or reason why neighboring is so important. It's the raising of children. So if we review it, care in times of disaster. We co-create care in the neighborhood. We're there for each other. I remember a neighbor, she, she, she had a, well, her daughter came running over to our house and said, my mom, well, actually she said, my mom's dead, my mom is dead. And what was shocking, we went, and we all went running over, and her mom had fallen down the stairs, along stairs, and had actually knocked herself out. For, so from the perspective of this young person, she was terrified and thought the worst. But we were there, we came, we helped, we were supportive. We called an agency, called the ambulance, to come, and we brokered that care to her, uh, the ambulance care to her. So there's many disasters that take place every day in everyone's life, whether it be a physical disaster like that, or if it's an emotional disaster like uh, a family trial, an addiction, all these kinds of disasters that come into our lives. And we as neighbors are there to be supportive. So that's a reason. Raising of children, of course. Environmental sustainability, what we do in our homes is, is you know, has a dramatic effect on the planet. What we do together as neighborhoods has a dramatic effect on the planet. So environmental sustainability starts right right at home, right outside of our, 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 our steps. So there's lots of reasons why, and hence the, uh, the um, city of Edmonton cares about uh, the neighboring initiative, uh, that we become better neighbors. So the how, um, that's uh, challenging. It, it's become challenging to be neighbors because the idea of neighboring, we just talk about friends and family as a society. Now we're trying about talking again about friends, family, and neighbors. So how do we reinvest in the neighboring relationship? Now, thankfully, in, uh, in our Western world, there's a renewal of the notion of neighboring. Um, people care about neighboring more and more. And it's, it's made evident by um, marketing. People are starting to use the neighboring relationship as a way to sell their products. Uh, I, I thought I'd bring this. I'm thinking about a President's Choice commercial. I'm thinking of Tim Hortons commercials. I'm thinking of various commercials where they're playing on neighboring. But this one is easiest for me to bring. And this is uh, Sherbrooke Liquor. And they put 60,000 of these little pamphlets out to uh, the citizens of Edmonton, 60,000 of them. And the title of it is, it says on the front, Cool Neighboring. 
So there's, they're selling their product, but the advertisement front and center is cool neighboring. Uh, and they give you tips on how to, pro tips for being a neighbor. Now you think, well, what does neighboring have to, it's just what works for them. But it's instructive to us today. What are they saying about how to be a great neighbor? Oh my, I better put my glasses on. So these are not unlike what the city of Edmonton would say if we would just start doing these things. In fact, we call it just creating a neighborly vibe. Just creating this neighborly atmosphere with those that live around you. Okay, it says this. Introduce yourself. If you can't name your neighbors, you've got some work to do. Knowing who you live next to is a great way to build strong community. So this is something that is just a, a kind of a provocative challenge to many. They say, well, I don't really know my neighbors. I'm a little afraid of my neighbors. I'm apprehensive about my neighbors. How many neighbors should I get to know? We actually have said, you know, it's manageable to get to know by name 20 of your neighbors, the ones that live closest to you. Could that maybe be a realistic goal for an individual? In fact, what about your block, your cul-de-sac, or building floor? Now, part of the reason why that seems daunting is because we think of them being our friends. And there's confusion of categories there. We're not really asking you to be friends with your neighbors. We want you to be neighbors with your neighbors. And neighbors are, they're not friends, they're, they're neighbors. And it's a weak tie relationship. It's one where you go, hey, hi. You wave, maybe over time you get to know the name. So it's a relationship that, is, that says, tacitly, like maybe not intentionally. Sometimes it becomes intentional and spoken. Hey, I'll be there for you. But uh, this relationship is a weak tie relationship where we just say hi, we maybe get to know each other's name, a few things about each other. We, may, we really are careful of privacy. But the great thing about it is we say, through this neighboring relationship, I'll be there for you. So that's, that's the neighboring relationship we're asking people to, to uh, uh, um, really uh, affirm as we um, introduce ourselves to our neighbors. Three, find out your neighbor's favorite beverage. So find out something about them. Maybe not the favorite beverage. But, uh, of course, there, there's the mixed motives. But to find just something out about, you know, so high over time. So where do you work is actually something that oftentimes people say, but you could say, what are you interested in? I see you if you have a set of skis there or you know, something that just brings on a little depth to the relationship around interests. And one of the things that's nice about that is you can say, well, Susan, I learned that she's a journalist and, go, and she's a good writer. I can say to her, you know, the community's asked me to put a little article in. Would you mind editing that for me? And she would be only too happy to give that little bit of time. And I have some skills that I'm happy to contribute to this supportive social unit called the family. So there's learn a name, find out a little bit about each other. Oh, this one's cute. 
knowing your four-legged neighbors by name is a great neighborhood flex. Somebody said of our neighborhood, Highlands, where everybody knows your dog's name. And I think that's probably true in many of your neighborhoods too. Uh, just, you know, and it is amazing the uh, way that both children and dogs help us to get to know our neighbors. But it also points at this kind of affection that we begin to have for one another. Here's another one. Go past the line. Being a cool neighbor means shoveling an extra few feet past your property line. And so this is this reciprocity. We begin to care for one another in practical and tangible ways. So once we've set up this kind of ambient vibe, this hi, hello, how are you? Then we begin to say to each other, hey, you know, I can, uh, can I be of help to you? Or really a great flex, to use their language, is to ask someone to help you. Would you mind taking in my mail when I'm away on holidays? It just builds this connection and over time, living together, it builds very meaningful bonds between us. And just a couple more here. Host a backyard fire. Eating together is quite a primal activity for human beings. We've gotten to know our neighbors. We depend on our neighbors. We break bread together. We eat together uh, as neighbors. A wonderful bonding thing. It's not meals every day. It could be once or twice a year where we just share. So many people get excited about the idea of some kind of block social or shared meal together. We find uh, at the city of Edmonton that people look forward to this. Sometimes they're apprehensive, but once they engage one another around a meal, even if it's just briefly, um, they feel more supportive and are glad to live where they live. And then finally, show off your neighboring spirit by offering to keep, out, keep an eye out for packages and bring in the mail when your next door pal is away on holidays. And so there again, we're pointing to this reciprocity. I'm just there to help, to be supportive. I'm not in your life all the time, but I'm there to help when I can help. So all of those things have a huge impact on the day-to-day -day life of individuals because we live day-to-day -day in our neighborhoods. So... Uh, we have a lot of ways to connect up City of Edmonton. We, we would love your neighborhood to be a part of the Abundant Community Program. I've left these out in the back. This is just a framework for exactly what I've talked about. Finding somebody on your block, Susan's block is all connected because of the effort of her and some of her friends on the block. It, it takes some work and some courage but after you've done it, it's worth just having a connected block so somebody on each block in the neighborhood connects up. Um, so that's the abundant community. We have another uh, for storytellers, the Awesome Block Awards. And this is basically an incentive for you to tell the story on your block, which is also an incentive to create a story on your block. So the block, the story could be um, we garden together on the, uh, in the spaces in our back alley, or we've beautified our back alley, or we have a phone, a shared phone list. We have, a, we have a phone list, and we've used our phone list to be supportive of one another through these troubled times. Or it could be we have a dog walking club on our block. Whatever the story might be, we want to we encourage the story of connected neighbors in our city. So we have these awesome block awards on, uh, on our city website. So thank you for allowing me to share a little bit about how the city of Edmonton 
cares about neighboring, why it cares about neighboring, and a little bit of encouragement to participate with us and with your neighbors, creating a better city through neighboring. Thank you. Okay. Now, Howard has said if anybody has questions, he'd be happy to answer questions. I would. Any thoughts out there? John. Just uh, one, because there's been a big shift in the city approach to planning. Because in my, when I was growing up, it was urban sprawl and, and being far from downtown. And I'm just wondering how you connect in with the strategies for infilling. Um, Yeah, so overall there's the city plan, which is a new plan to have us to be able to, uh, you know, really depend on our neighborhoods or the surrounding neighborhoods to connect us into everyday life, the 15-minute neighborhood. Uh, another word for that might be the walkable neighborhood. And in order to really have flourishing neighborhoods, we need little higher levels of density. In the 50s, our density might have been a little, a little higher because five people per home. Now we're down to two people per home. So we really could double our density to support the infrastructure, like the businesses, the parks, the schools in those neighborhoods. So having a little higher density in neighborhoods is actually helpful to our human flourishing, is the logic. We need more people. We need to be connected to people. The suburbs, and you mentioned it, our design for suburbs were um, car-focused instead of pedestrian-focused. So you get into cars and drive by your neighbors to friends and family to meet all your needs. And so that, um, that from a sociological perspective, has not really borne the, the fruits of human flourishing that we were hoping for. I could go on. A 2019 book, Oxford University Press, called Neighborhoods by a professor named Emily Tallon. And she talks about two planners. And um, it's an important book where she says, let's reestablish the everyday neighborhood. And she looks really at this walkable neighborhood where you know it. And Edmonton has these, where you know its boundaries. It says in there, one of the... Um, qualities of an everyday neighborhood, you know where it is, and you know you belong to it. So she's, and as an Edmontonian, you go, well, doesn't everybody know the neighborhood they're in and that they belong to it? Edmonton is special in many ways around its urban planning and around its leadership in neighborhoods, which is the community league. So yeah, great question. Thank you. I, we could go on. We could have a real good chat, I'm sure, in this space. Yes. Uh, apartment living, because it's you don't see people very often, and the people that I do see, I've spoken to. But how can we take that next step? How can we have an event together in this space? You know? Yeah. Oh, what a So, how can uh, talk about apartment living? We don't often see ourselves see one another in apartments, and when we do, it's good. But uh, how can we create uh, more connection at the apartment level? And that is a challenge. Now, most of us can point to dorms, which were apartment living. 
if you ever lived in a dorm, dorm life at university, it was really social. So how do we go, what, what is it about going from that kind of hyper-social connection, maybe too much connection, to what many people experience in apartment life today? And it, we're, we're working on that. You know, the challenge seems to be about controlling your own relational space. So we find people saying, in my apartment, people avert their gaze from one another. They won't, they're, they're trying to protect their social space by looking away. So we have to do everything we can to communicate that just, this is why we, we are particularly intentional about saying the neighboring relationship rather than friendship. This doesn't mean these people are going to be in your place watching the game every week. Like, they will preserve privacy. So we talk about this idea of creating a neighborly vibe, just enough neighboring in those places. I think you're right to talk about the idea of some common space. The commons are helpful, so we don't fight people into our private space, but we take advantage of the commons. Uh, one person actually, they used their hallway. I was at another apartment just on 118th where they were out front. They used just the front entryway. They put chairs out at the front entryway. My son and his wife spent a year in Denmark, um, sorry, that's wrong, not Denmark, in Holland. Yeah. And I'm wondering if um, the city has any plan for the future of building apartment buildings in, the, in Bathway. Um, they said this was very common. There could be a long apartment complex, but they were divided into groups um, up and down. So there would be one elevator that would service all the floors for two to four apartments in one column. And uh, they said that they knew all of their neighbors because these were this was a small group of people that they saw over and over daily. Great. So the question is in the Netherlands, there is a way of building apartments that is conducive to connection of neighbors and with a particular emphasis on common places like elevators. I know people use talk about laundry rooms and various other ways of connecting. Now, I can't speak to the exact zoning that would take place there, but what did capture my attention was that your, was your, your family that said that said, we got to know all of our neighbors. Again, that points to, there was a conversation about neighbors and neighboring. And the city of Edmonton is conscious of creating spaces and you know, even bylaws that enhance the neighboring relationship. Um, trans we're still a car culture, and so there's a movement back. Of course, many of the Scandinavian countries, the Netherlands, they have really moved in the opposite direction. Uh, they ha and they move from a car culture to a more walkable, um, bikeable uh, culture. So, yes, two. <laughs> okay, two. Yes, yes, yes.
to some kind of institutional care or aging in place. And I think that neighboring could be um, one of the key factors in allowing people to remain in their homes. I know, for instance, the one neighbor who always checked to see if uh, her next door neighbor had raised her blinds in the morning. And if the blinds weren't up, then she knew that she should go check on that neighbor. It wasn't an intimate relationship, but it was one where there was some um, caring, caring between them. Uh, in our neighborhood, another, another uh, lady became unable to walk her dog, and another neighbor has partnered up to take her dog and that dog along on daily walks. Um, but there are developers you know, patrolling our neighborhood, harassing and enticing and threatening people that if you don't move, if you don't sell me your little bungalow, then uh, you're going to be surrounded in a construction zone and no one will ever want to buy your house and you will lose its equity. These kinds of threats are coming to seniors who are uh, unsure about their future. So talk about how neighboring Boy, and you, you really said it, you know, aging in place, Edmonton, Edmonton Seniors Coordinating Council, they're very much about helping our agencies and helping neighborhoods to be supportive places for seniors to age in place. So, you know, really you've, you've, you've nailed it. And it is something that um, we as individuals being supportive of the seniors and being supportive with other seniors in the neighborhood, being known as seniors in your neighborhood, um, really helps this initiative along. But there is a definite, I'm, definite impulse in society and one that the city's aware of, one that our agencies are aware of. So yeah, I'm glad you raised it. And Windsor Park has done a great job of connecting at the block level, connecting people with common uh, interests together, so yeah, it's great. So, so connection in the condo is, is one thing, and then connection of the condo with the neighbors around it. So there's two kind of steps there. We come in to condos, so we might, if in your condo you say, this is a good example, you might say, we'd like to make more connection in the condo. Can, do you have resources to help us? And we would say yes, and we would come and work with you, maybe we'd work with your condo association to say, do you have a social convener or a social uh, uh, committee in the condo? We'll work with that. Um, then we help, uh, and our approach is, can we make connections on the floor, and then can we aggregate those connections on the floor through the whole building? 
So we work with your floor. Do you know your neighbors on the floor? Then we're going to find, because that's really where your that particularly supportive relationship is found, and then move on from there, finding other people who want to be a part of a walking group or reading group in your building. So, but we work with the citizens. So citizens need to approach us. But an awesome block could be an awesome condo or an awesome floor on a condo. And we want to hear your story. We want to help you create that story too. So yes to that. We, we as a city will help, uh, certainly within the building and within the neighborhood as a whole. Want your glasses? Oh yeah, I got all my, got all, got all my stuff there. Thanks, Susan. I knew you guys would like him. He's, he's an amazing guy. Thank um, you. Thank you, Howard, for coming. We will now sing hymn number 128, For All That Is Our Life. Words are on the screen, 128. minutes, uh, but that's just the way it's going to be. <laughs> I don't know how to shorten. <laughs> um, our meditation time begins now. I'm going to read some words by Gwen Matthews. Feel that each breath, every inhale, exhale, we are living, breathing, connected. We are the whole, complete, beautiful selves that we were born to be. Feel that in your bones, in your muscles, in your heart and your blood. That is the extraordinary you. The you who was born for this place, this time, this moment. Feel that, the struggle, the worry, the pain, the loss, the grief. It is still you. 
you are still whole, complete, beautiful, extraordinary. Feel that. Now we are going to do candles. And um, we are going to start with the candle for Ukraine. And Jan McMillan, who all of her grandparents, all four, came from the Ukraine, Jan will light our Ukraine candle. Thank you, Jen. This has been such a heart-wrenching time for me and for all of us. I, the thing that got me this week was people bring their little cats or their big cats. And they don't even know where they're going, but they couldn't leave their cat behind. Now we're going to do our regular candles for joys and concerns that are in your heart. I think you know you line up here, you get a tall candle, and then use it to light the little candles and then extinguish in the water. And Gordon will play for us.
will ask Howard to light one last candle for all those joys and concerns that remain in our heart. Now, Maria Jenkins will give us our final reading. All right, that's fine. <laughs> I am prepared for everything. Or we could skip our final reading. Will that throw the tech people off? She's saying, he's saying no. We're going to skip our final reading. And um, uh, as we wrap up the service, I'm going to give some thank yous. First to Gordon Ritchie, our wonderful pianist, who is here many, many weeks doing that. On Zoom, Jeff Bizance and Lynn Wolf, who are handling the Zoom duties. And up there in the tech area, Andrew Mills, our producer, John Pater doing sound. And they, those guys are up there more weeks than they're not up there. Um, and our camera person, I believe, is Declan Kiley, who grew up in this church. And Declan, I counted, has been the camera person for nine times since September. And that's a huge, huge gift to us. And um, that's it. Okay, um, I'm going to ask Ruth to come and extinguish the chalice. And I'm going to leave you with an Irish blessing. May your days be many and your troubles be few. May all life's blessings descend upon you. May peace be within you. May your heart be strong. May you find what you're seeking wherever you roam. So thank you all for coming in all that snow. And thanks for everybody on Zoom. And we will now sing Carry the Flame. And Howard will just see how we do this. People form a circle. <laughs>